Welcome to the Traffic Sales and Profit Podcast. My name is Lamar Tyler. I'm your host, right? And you are in the right spot mm -hmm. if you're a black entrepreneur trying to figure out exactly what it takes to get to your first six, seven, eight figures plus in business. Or if you say, man, I need wealth strategies. I need to figure out how I can not get riches, but actually get wealth. You're in the right spot. And today we got the right person for the conversation. My brother, my man. What's going on, Chief? <laughs> Julian Gordon, Mr. Mm -hmm. Multifamily Movement. Yes. And, you know, I, I was thinking about it. Uh, first of all, thanks for being here. I'm happy to be here. <laughs> but I was thinking about it. I think we met, it's probably been more than 10 years ago now. Yeah, blogging conference. Blogging while Brown in yeah. Harlem. <laughs> Shout out to Gina McCauley, right? We appreciate you, Gina. Yes, yeah. Man, I got so many great connections from <laughs> Gina and going to those conferences years mm -hmm. ago. Um, but we met then. I remember we connected. And you've done a lot. <laughs> in just like like the decade I've known this dude, <laughs> you've done a lot. All highly successful at a successful level. Um. So it was hard for me. I was like, man, what do I want to talk about with this guy? Mm -hmm. But I think what I saw is everything that you do is around people. I can mm -hmm. tell you got a heart for people. Yeah. Is around education. You want to educate people and make them aware. Mm -hmm. And it's always been a mindset component to yeah, it. Yeah, always. So so for the people that may not know you, um, can you tell them a little bit about, you know, who you are yeah. and you know how we got here today? Yeah. So um my highest identity is child of God, first and foremost. Uh, that's my highest identity above all else. Um, I am a father of a beautiful seven-year-old girl, so I'm a girl dad. <laughs> um, real estate investor first, uh, real estate um, educator, and then a real estate developer. So um, that's how the journey has unfolded. But um, originally from Oakland, California, and um, I went down to UCLA for undergrad, bounced back up to North to Stanford for business school, got my MBA, worked at a nonprofit for a year and a half in New York. Um, uh, bought my first multifamily in Brooklyn, May of 2013. Um, and once I experienced that, uh, I realized the power of real estate and I continued to expand that portfolio in New Orleans and Oakland and in Baton Rouge. And so today I have, uh, personally, I have 40 doors uh, in four different, um, four different cities, uh, but I also am lead investor in several real estate State funds. So if you add up the proportional amount of doors there, um, getting very close to 100 doors in my uh, own portfolio. So um, and so I also leader of the multifamily movement, which I'm most proud of, uh, where we've helped over 300 people close on multifamily homes all across the country. That's been in just the past three years. Now our goal is to reach uh, 3000 closings and over a billion dollars worth of real estate acquired. Wow. I, I want to make sure y'all are, are getting that right. So that's no small thing. We talk about like 300 people or 300 closings right yep. that people have done meaning like they've taken possession and hold of property just... and most of these people i'm assuming were not like <laughs> hey i already got like 20 units here or i got 30 units there like the people you're educating about multifamily real estate they may have said hey you know i'm interested in yeah. it but i don't know how yeah and you help them cross that finish line 100 renters renters and some single family home buyers so about uh about 60 of the people started off renting and about 40 percent of the people had a single family home realized the single family trap that they were house poor that they had a single family home and it was actually taking more money out of their pocket than renting and I know that sounds crazy to people, but when you're going to get a mortgage, they don't account for uh, the maintenance. They don't account for uh, all the things that you have to do to maintain that property. So they just show you the principal interest taxes and insurance, right? But there's these other factors, your CapEx, your repair reserve, right? Um, and any major maintenance. So that $10,000 roof, right? That comes down the line five years, where's that coming from? That's coming from your 401k or your savings. There's, no, there's nowhere else for it to come from. So the only way to live free in this country there's actually a couple ways. You can live in a tent, 
right? You can go to jail or you can buy a multifamily home. <laughs> Those are your real only options. People say, well, you can die. Well, even when you die, you got to pay for a funeral plot. That's real estate. So the only way to live free and get rid of your housing expense is through multifamily real estate. And for most Americans, their housing expense takes up 35% of the money that they bring in. So if somebody, a family's bringing in $6,000 a month, $2,000, a month is going out towards housing. So your housing expense is going to be the biggest expense in your life. And if we can just do one thing, which is get rid of your housing expense forever, it literally will change the financial trajectory of your life. I'm not asking you to build a million dollar business. I'm not asking you to pick the right stock, the right NFT, the right crypto. All I'm asking you to do is one thing, buy a multifamily home, get rid of your housing expense forever. And it will literally change the financial trajectory of your life. So um, it's not the most sexy play. It's not the uh, most complex play, uh, but there are nuances to make sure that you buy right. It's not just about buying real estate. You have to make sure that you buy right. There's a difference between a listing and a deal. When real estate agents send you, they send you listings. What right. you really have to find is a great deal. And that's actually the hardest part of the game. It's not getting financed. It's actually finding a great deal is the hardest part of the game. Yeah, and that's that's something we realize in our own personal real estate journey. Me and mm -hmm. me and Ronnie, who you know, my wife, for those of yeah. you that mm -hmm. know, is that we realize down the line that most listings, mm -hmm. right, <laughs> were the worst deals because they like like all of the best deals had already been kind of snapped up or looked at off market, examined off market before they even get to the actual listing. So yeah. when you see something as a listing, and you say, "Oh, it just came, it, it just came on the market." Yeah. No. It may not be what we think it is. No, not at all. So I don't use truly a Zillow or Redfin to find real estate deals. Those are real estate listings. In fact, on those websites, um, they charge uh, buyers end up paying a 30% premium to what you would have paid if you would have found that deal off market. So my last uh, my last 10 deals have been off market, meaning that they never hit one of those websites. And how do you do that? You do that through relationships. How do you get the hookup at uh, the shoe store, right? You had a friend, you had somebody you knew who worked there, right? So you have to build your real estate Rolodex. And so your real estate Rolodex is first and foremost, not just one agent, it's multiple agents. Mm. The reason why is because why would I limit my search in this particular market to the eyes of one single person? I want to have all bases covered. I'm not going to limit my search to one agent in their network. I want to, and whichever agent brings me the deal, that's who eats. Plain and simple. But then there's also wholesalers, there's contractors, there's lenders, there's other property owners, and then friends and family being aware of what you're actually looking for. Like my little brother, he sent me deals from Oakland. I didn't end up buying them, but he knows and he's aware that I'm always looking for deals. And so deals can come to you, off-market deals can come to you from everywhere because his friend was actually selling, uh, had inherited from his grandfather. And once he knew, he said, um, I'm gonna send that to my brother. And so I had the first look at a deal in a city that I love, which is Oakland, where I'm from. Um, I ended up passing on the deal because he wanted too much, but you know, that's how deals come to you. Hmm. So that network piece is- It's the network right, piece. Say, right, uh, uh, network in terms of net worth? Yes, is, yes. Is, yeah. is so true about how it is. Yeah. Now let me ask, you've helped a lot of people, like as you said, kind of get to the finish line of, of closing mm -hmm. on those multifamily properties. For them, what are some of the biggest misconceptions you see oftentimes? Uh, People think when you talk about, hey, you should own a, a multifamily, somebody's listening. What's some of the things you know they're probably already thinking in their head? Yeah, they think that it's just expensive, right? They think that it costs more than a single family home. So if a single family home costs 100000 they think that a fourplex is going to cost 400000 mm -hmm. And what most people don't know is that it's actually easier to buy a multifamily home than it is to buy a single family home. I know that sounds crazy, but here's the reality. So. If you go to get financed by a lender, a lender will typically finance you for about six times what your W-2 income is. So if you're making $40,000 uh, a year in W-2 income, you'll get qualified for about $240,000 of a mortgage, right? But when you're buying a multifamily, this is what most people don't know, 
and that the lender will give you credit for 75% of the rents that you're going to be getting once you close and add that to your income today and then qualify you based on that number. So let's say you are in the market for a fourplex and you found a fourplex that has $4,000 a month coming in. Right. That's three. Seventy five percent of that is three thousand times 12 months, which is thirty six thousand. They'll add that thirty six thousand on top of your W-2. Wow. So that forty thousand plus thirty six. So now you multiply that by six and you're now qualified for four hundred and fifty six thousand dollars worth of real estate instead of just two forty when you were going to buy a single family home. Right. On top of that, uh, on top of that, what's beautiful about it is that when you buy right. Now you've also gotten rid of your housing expense and you'll never have a housing expense for the rest of your life. And what most people don't know is that it's actually easier to keep a multifamily home than it is to keep a single family home. Because in a single family home, who's there to help you pay the mortgage? If you lose your job, something happens to your income, you get divorced, uh, you end up with a physical uh, disability or mental illness. Who's there to help you Nobody. pay the mortgage? Nobody. Nobody. <laughs> Shout out to Key Sweat. Right, right? I was just thinking that. Shout out to Key Sweat. Nobody. If you have a multifamily home and something were to happen to you over a 30-year mortgage, right. right? Something were to happen to you, guess what? Your tenants, your renters have been paying that mortgage the entire time. So you still get to keep and control that asset. Whereas with a single family home, there's no external help to come unless you're going to dip into your savings and your 401k to cover that gap. So not only is it easier to buy a multifamily home, it's also easier to keep a multifamily home than it is a single family home. All right. I love it. So I want to go back to you because you said um, now you own 40 doors directly, yes. not even through the funds. And directly. Correct. Just, just you yourself. When you bought that first one and the first one was in New York, Brooklyn, New York, May 2013. When you first bought it, was the goal and the mission always <laughs> that, hey, this is the first and it's going to be expansion from here? Or is it just like, hey, this is a good opportunity? Or is it just like, I just need some place to live? Yeah. And this is available? How did that great, work? Great question. So, um, you know, most of us read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, right? <laughs> exactly. Um, and the thing about it is uh, I read that in college and um, 40 million people have read that book, but 40 million people have not bought real estate, right? right. So there's a knowing doing gap there. But I knew uh, that I was going to buy a multifamily home first, period. Why? Because my mother, who was a doctor, um, had great active income, she ended up dealing with a mental illness and an addiction. And um, and as a result, she lost her license and she ended up losing that home. Mm -hmm. um, that home today in Oakland, California is worth $1.8 million, wow. right? So that is wealth that will not be passed on to me as her only child um, because it was a single family home. And these things we can't control. I do not blame her for what she has experienced. It, it's just, it was literally mental illness, right? And so I knew after experiencing that, that was my first taste of real estate, right? And it was a sour taste. And so after experiencing that, I just knew that I was buying a multifamily first. And so I was literally renting on Fulton Street in Brooklyn, New York. I was walking to the post office one day to ship out some books and I saw open house sign with balloons. I walked around the corner and literally the property that I ended up buying shares the backyard with the property I was renting. So I was renting on the second floor on Fulton Street and my office was looking at this property the entire time, right? And so... Once I saw that opportunity, I went through the financing process that day and that property was mine. I had no clue that it would unfold into what it has unfolded into today. But the moment um, you go from paying expensive rent in Brooklyn to being paid expensive rent in Brooklyn, it changes everything. You're like, wait a second. <laughs> I went from paying to live to now being paid to paid to live. And so obviously when it came to scaling the portfolio, uh, you know, when you're buying your second one, the first one can be 0% down to 3.5% down. 0% down would be through a program called NACA. Okay. 
3.5% down would be through the government's FHA program. Um, but when you're buying the second one and it's not owner occupied, right? Unless you're using FHA another time. And most people don't know that you can use, there's five ways to use FHA twice. But if you're buying the second one uh, and it's not owner occupied, it's going to be 25% down. So for me to put 25% down on another property in Brooklyn, that's a million dollars. I would have been a quarter million dollars that I would have had to have in cash in your on pocket, hand. Yep. So I knew that in order for me to scale my portfolio, I was going to have to find a smaller, less expensive market. And I had fallen in love with New Orleans. I traveled there as a speaker many times to speak at colleges there and for conferences. And um, I saw what was happening there, especially after Katrina. And I decided I wanted to preserve the culture there. New Orleans is the most black, culturally rich city in the entire world. Like You feel like you need a passport when you land in New Orleans. I was traveling all <laughs> over the country. Everything else was Vanilla, same Panera bread, same Ross, whatever, you know. Right. Um, but when you land in New Orleans, it's different. And so I knew I wanted to be a contribution um, and preserve the culture that was in that community. So I started investing from a distance while living in Brooklyn in New Orleans, buying duplexes, buying fourplexes from a distance. Ultimately, I moved to New Orleans, right? And I scaled my portfolio a lot more once I was there. And um, that's how I uh, started building up and getting beyond just the residence that I was in, but having a portfolio. Uh, that first property is key. Buying that first property right is key. And buying right means that one, that there's built-in equity into the property the moment you purchase it, right? Okay. So that means that um, you locked in the contract at 400,000, but it appraised at 430. So you're already winning just off the buy. Then there's at least 12% cash on cash return. That means that your money is doubling every uh, six years. And then finally, um, that there's definite appreciation potential based on the 33 signs of gentrification. So those are the three criteria for what it means to buy real estate in the right way. I love it. So. Um, as you're talking about, you know, getting a hold of that first one and seeing the opportunity and expansion. I love what you said about New Orleans too. I totally agree with that. Yeah. I had someone one time from outside of the country that was uh, coming in and they were like, hey, like, what are the places in the United States I need to visit? Mm -hmm. And as I, I said, a lot of the United States is the same. I said, it's, <laughs> right. I said, it's only like, it's three or four places that's different. Yeah. I said, New York different. is different. Yes. I said, Miami. Miami is different. different yeah. It's like culturally, like when you get there, you know, the, the building structures, the core um, is different, yeah. right? New Orleans is one of those places. It is. Mm. It's different. I said Vegas is different in a kind of like an amusement park. Correct. <laughs> kind of way, but, yeah. but like that. But I, I love what you said about looking there. I feel like a lot of times too many people are trapped by their zip code. Yeah. And, and you know, you know I'm, I'm originally from the D.C. area and I live in Atlanta now. So you could be in somewhere like New York. DC area, the Bay Area, yeah. where you say, well, it's too expensive for me to get into real estate. Yeah. But that doesn't mean it's ex too expensive everywhere. And, and a lot of times I talk to people from California, for instance, they would be shocked that you can go to another state and pick up a duplex, maybe a quad for $100,000, $150,000. They're like, where I live at $100,000, <laughs> <Don't get you laughs> right? <laughs> you know, won't get you anything at all. So yeah. how important is it for us? Or like, is it possible? Is it not possible? Is that hard for your average person listening to get something that's not in their area? No, it's not because we do it with stocks all the time, right? You own Amazon stock and never been to Seattle. Mm, you own Nike is. stock and never been to Oregon. So your money does not have to work in the same city as you do. Mm, we've like restricted it. our real estate search to where we can drive and when we can go to open houses. But when I bought my property in Oakland, I've never set foot in my property in Oakland, right? But I knew the neighborhood. I knew the numbers and I had an agent on the ground that I trusted. I bought that property for $480,000 in November, 2017, January, 2021, it had appreciated to $730,000, right? This is the power of knowing 
this methodology and knowing that your money does not have to work in the same city as you do. It frees you up to invest anywhere where you go. So people ask me all the time, Julian, what are the great markets to invest in? Um, I don't give people a list of cities. I say the first market you should try to invest in is where you live. That's going to be the easiest, right? Because you're physically there. It's also going to eliminate your housing expense. The second market I encourage people to invest in is where you're from. I'm from Oakland, so I decided to invest in Oakland. I wanted to make sure that Oakland had black ownership because we already know the gentrification or, or what I actually call colonization is happening there. Then invest wherever you want to be a contribution. I wanted to be a contribution to New Orleans, so I invested in New Orleans. And then the fourth place I tell people to invest is wherever you can make money. I've never invested particularly in that way. I've invested in the first three ways. So that is the order that I encourage people to look for. Um, and so some people are now living in big cities, but they're actually from some small city in Arkansas. Right. Take that big city income, right, and that capital and deploy it in a smaller, less expensive market where the, uh, the cost base is going to be a lot less than what you're paying for housing where you are. And so now your money is multiplying in that way. Um, and it's a really powerful uh, way to get your money to work for you uh, without you working for it. I love it. And many times those small cities are the ones that's next. They're the ones that's bumped like a Huntsville, Alabama or some of Correct. these other places where, you know, the, the, the first people with the insight on those places are the people from those places. Exactly. And, and I felt like even in me and Ronnie's journey, so many times we would see opportunities that we knew something would blow. Like we know when they building that, you know, that that development over there. Yeah. It's going to be w worth way more. But we never took advantage of it. Yeah. We, ne we never got started. Yeah. You know, for people that are listening and they need to just get going. Because you talked about the importance of that first deal. Yeah. Like, like what, it, what is it that gets them from, okay, I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Yeah. To actually like, I'm taking the steps to actually become an owner. Right. Um, well, real estate, uh, it's a game where you have to play it. Uh, you can't read about it. Just like if I gave you a Gordon Ramsay cookbook. That don't mean you can cook like Gordon Ramsay, right? You can read the book and flip through the pages and get the ingredients all you want, but that don't mean you can cook like him. It's something that you actually have to get your feet wet. And the easiest way to get your feet wet is that first play where you house hack and you're living in one unit while the other units are actually paying the principal, interest, taxes, insurance, capex repairs of a vacancy rate. That's the easiest way to get your feet wet in real estate. Um, and I also encourage people um, not to uh, simply rely on a real estate agent right? Because what most people don't know is that many real estate agents don't own any real estate. That's true. I never thought about that, but that is it's absolutely crazy. true. And here we are saying, oh, I need to find a real estate agent. And we're giving over the biggest financial decision of our life to someone who does not even own any real estate themselves, right? And does not have the wealth that you desire, right? I only work with agents who have multifamily real estate themselves, or at least know how to calculate cash on cash return. Cash on cash return is the most important number when it comes to multifamily real estate investing. And guess what? It's not even on the real estate exam. Wow. It's not on the real estate exam. Most real estate agents are in the business of selling single family homes to American dreamers. So rather than being passive about the biggest financial decision of your life, I really encourage people to go get educated and then run that first house hacking play, right? Where they are now um, in one play, you've gotten rid of your housing expense, you now have an asset, you're now generating passive income, you now have tax savings, right? All in one single move. Right. There's no other asset that you can buy that can do all of that for you. Like you cannot live in your stock portfolio. That's true. Your po stock portfolio is not going to eliminate your housing expense. And so this is the power of this initial play. And then from that initial play, it actually frees you up to dabble in any other asset classes that are out there like stocks, crypto, et cetera. But make sure that you have this foundation set. This should be the first business in any family. You know, that's good. I've, I found that. Um, 
over the years, I came, I became real good at making money, right? Mm -hmm. But what I realized is that when it came to building wealth, is a different education. Yeah. In, in in my mind, in my early days, I thought it was all all the same thing. Yeah. But I I think it's two totally different things, which is why you see people that make a lot of money, but still unable to actually generate wealth. Yes. Or years later, that money's gone and they have nothing to show for it. Yeah. Because being able to to generate wealth through vehicles like real estate, being able to then protect it and pass it on, yeah, is an entirely different game. One hundred percent. Um. Something else that I, I know you do, right? Uh, as we get beyond, okay, I got my first multifamily or, you know, I'm in some type of other real estate. What I love is that there are other many ways people can invest in real estate. Yes. And you guys through um, Buyback Baton Rouge, yep. right? Mm -hmm. You had a whole nother vehicle where people could invest in an entirely different way. And it may be something that our community oftentimes isn't familiar with. Yeah. Can you talk about that? Was that what that's like, what you guys are doing? you know, how people can invest in funds, what all that looks like. Yeah, so um, my brother Anthony Kimball is having Wade and I, we created the Buyback Baton Rouge Fund and um, we raised $3 million to develop about 100 multifamily units out in Baton Rouge, particularly in the Eddie Robinson Senior Historic District in the Scotlandville neighborhood. And um, basically we crowdfunded, right? We crowdfunded. Uh, we went through the SEC process to create uh, a, reg, uh, a reg CF, crowdfund mm -hmm. and uh, we were able to market online and bring in investors our minimum capital uh, requirement was one thousand dollars so uh, for some people their blockage to real estate their perceived blockage is that oh my credit is low and I don't have a lot of savings and those are not reasons to not invest um, in fact NACA doesn't require credit and as long as you've been paying rent on time consistently and you can prove that you can save money in addition to that you can get financed even with low income right but if you're going to have that mental block there's still ways to get invested in real estate by contributing to a crowd fund or a REIT so now you're still invested in this particular asset class which has been the pr most proven business model and the number one subscription uh, subscription model in the entire world better than Amazon uh, Prime better than Netflix <laughs> as long as there are human beings on the face of this earth there will always be real estate I cannot exactly. guarantee that Amazon or Netflix especially with Netflix stock price right now I can't guarantee that those things will be here hundred years from now, right? So um, there's that avenue to find funds to invest in. There's also some websites uh, that um, are basically funds that you can invest in through those websites. But then you can also raise funds from your own. Once you understand the game, you can actually raise funds from people around you and you can go in together. So I know with the TSP Mastermind, uh, you were able to uh, aggregate resources uh, together and you bought a 19 unit together, right? So yep. that is possible even in the midst of uh, a family, right? Um, and it requires typically for uh, an investment like that, it's gonna be 25% down. If nobody's gonna own or occupy that space, it's gonna be 25% down. And then you break up that, uh, you break up the proportional ownership based on um, uh, people's contribution. So uh, there are many different ways to get invested in real estate without it specifically being you owning your property yourself. I love it. Mm -hmm. Now, um, I think you're probably one of the best I've seen when it comes to money mindset mm. and helping people break down false beliefs around money mindset. Um, helping uh, retrain, right? Or mm -hmm. um, actually, you had a whole course around with your book, right? It was around kind of reprogramming the mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Around money. money. I want to talk. I want to talk about that a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because so many times, what we've seen just in life is what generationally has been passed down to us. Generation, what we've been taught. Yeah. And if we've been taught the wrong things about money, yeah, 
you know, it 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 shackles us down to where we literally are, are constrained and we can't get to where we need to get to. Yeah. Like, what are you seeing around money mindset and around what people believe and what they should believe? Yeah, the biggest thing is actually it comes from a deep-seated religious belief that money is evil. Um, and there's a scripture that says the love of money is the root of all evil. And people just choose to leave out the word love and then they say shorten it to the money is evil. And uh, money is just stored energy. It is literally just stored energy, and we are meant to use that stored energy, in my eyes, to create more good and more God on this planet Earth. And so what do I mean by stored energy? If you had 100 apples, right, and I had a cow, all right, back in the day, and you wanted, uh, and, and you wanted a portion of my cow, right? Let's say you wanted 25% of my cow, and I said, okay, give me 25 apples. You'd be like, I don't want that right now. So then what we create? We create an IOU, mm -hmm. right? I get my apples now, but you don't want this cow right now. And so that piece of paper now becomes money. And that piece of paper represents all the energy and the time and the effort that I put in to grow those 25 apples gotcha. that I can now use for later. So when you look at money as just energy, there's a couple of things that come up. First and foremost, uh, energy always moves. Money is called currency because it's supposed to circulate. But we've been taught and programmed to put money in a piggy bank, <laughs> right? Scripture says, do not give your pearls to swine. But what do we do? We give our money to the banks. And, it's, and there's no way you can build wealth by, by saving, saving money. It's, it's impossible with these interest rates. And Bank of America savings account right now is 0.03% interest. So if you use a rule of 72, 72 divided by 0.03 means that it'll take you 2,400 years to double your money in a savings account. 2,400. And that's before inflation. I mean, that, that, that doesn't rule in. That doesn't even account for inflation. So with a multifamily real estate investment, the minimum cash on cash return that we're looking for is 12%. 72 divided by 12 means that your money is doubling every six years in addition to all the tax benefits, the appreciation, you living for free, et cetera. So um, uh, we've been taught to, to go chase the highest paying job, right? We're paper chasing, but many people don't know that cash is the lowest yielding asset in the entire world. It's only yielding 0.03% in your bank account. And on top of that, with inflation, it is losing value every time you don't use it. Mm -hmm. So the winner of the game is not the person who accumulates the most money. It's the person who circulates the most money into assets, to real assets. People happily give up their money every single day because they know it's not valuable. People are shopping on Amazon right now. They just got paid today and they're shopping on Amazon right now. People are always looking for ways because they know that this piece of paper is inherently not valuable. You cannot eat it. You cannot drink it. You cannot keep yourself warm with it. You know you have to exchange it for something more valuable in order to enjoy your life. And so uh, we don't just exchange, we never spend money, right? When you spend money, you end money. We want to mm. invest money into ideals, ideas, individuals, institutions, right? And investments that we believe are going to return that money, right? When something circulates, it returns a point of origin. And so when, uh, when I release money, I, I release it and in God I trust. And then when it comes back to me, in God I trust it. But some people have made money their God. Right. It says in God, we trust some people make money. They're God. And so they hoard it. And that's really a scarcity mindset. Right. You actually want to circulate it. And I found the more money I circulate, the more money that circulates back to me. It's just like law. Now, I know somebody's listening and thinking, well, normally I would do that. But I'm hearing, you know, we're coming out of pandemic and I'm hearing there may be a recession. Yeah. And like, should they think differently? Because, hey, you know, potentially a recession is coming. So <laughs> I'm not hoarding it. I'm just protecting it in case of recession. Great or point. still a recession, should they be out there looking for opportunities and things along that line? What happens to prices during the midst of a recession? They go up. Uh, in inflation, they inflation do. And we are dealing with inflation, but in recession, uh, things go down, right? And so the economy is going down. So uh, 
that means that things are going to be at a discount. We see that with the stock market right now. Stock market is dropping like crazy right now. That means that things are now at a discount. So let me be very careful. And I'm glad you asked that question. Once you've established your emergency fund, okay, right? Your emergency fund based on your risk tolerance should be three months of expenses, six months of expenses, or 12 months of expenses, right? Based on your risk tolerance. I'm okay with operating at three months of expenses. I know that I can get back on my feet in 90 days because of the knowledge that's in my head, right? Um, but for somebody else, that might be, I need to have 12 months. Now, if you need 12 months of emergency fund and your cost of living is $5,000 a month, you have to save up $60,000. That's $60,000 that's not working because you have it stored. It's actually losing value due to inflation and you're not earning anything in terms of interest. But if that's what you need based on your risk tolerance, be honest about that, stack your emergency fund. Now, anything above that $60,000, it needs to be in motion. You need to be making those dead presidents work for you, right? And so we are always looking for opportunities. In the midst of a recession, I know that people are going to get foreclosed on, right? right? Now, I do not pray for that. I do not wish that on anybody. But if I can relieve somebody of a debt that they have because they no longer have the income to support it, then I can actually go get an asset at a discount, right? And take control of that particular property. So emergency fund first, but beyond that, you want everything that you can in circulation. Um, in fact, on this journey to wealth, um, people who have cash cow businesses and are generating enough income, they'll find that the difficulty, it sounds crazy. They're going to have difficulty finding ways to use the cash. Mm. I know for some people that just sounds far-fetched. Like I always find, no, once you have uh, enhanced your cash basis, right? Your responsibility, one was to make the cash, right? To make the money. But then the second responsibility that most people fail at is making the money then work for them. Correct. My employees are Washington, Franklin, <laughs> Hamilton. Those are my employees. But a lot of people, their employees are just lazy, just sitting there in a bank account doing nothing. Your responsibility is to make them work. And so there's many different asset classes. I encourage people to identify one or master one asset class. For me, I chose multifamily real estate and then a second master, uh, um, asset class as to diversify. There, uh, right now in this social media era, um, people are like, oh yeah, you should go get a truck. Then you should go get a multifamily home. Then you should have a tourist car. Then you should do this. And then you should do this. And then you should do this. And, do and what you'll find is that your energy is split and that you have no control over your investments. You are a responsibility. You are supposed to be a steward of your money. And when you get scattered in that way, there's no way that you can master all of those. The reason those people are winning is because that is their full time lifestyle. Exactly. Right. And so please do not compare your results to somebody who does that full time. Right. So I encourage people to identify one or two asset classes that they're going to uh, depend on um, and not get too scattered when it comes to deploying the rest of their money after their emergency fund. It does good. I talk about that with entrepreneurs a lot of times. I, I call it fracture focus because mm -hmm. entrepreneurs, entrepreneurs are creatives, whether they know it or not. Yeah. So you always have all these different ideas. Yep. And then then I tell them the hardest thing is once they make money, because once they make money, it's easy to go and make more. So then, you know, like I, I, you know, I say, hey, you know, the hardest part for many people getting to a seven figure business is because they got too many six figure businesses hey, and, and they create a six figure business. Yep. And then they say, now I got the form. They go make another one. They go make another mm. one. But like you said, because their their focus is fractured yeah. across all these different businesses, they can't devote the time to one yeah. to really build it up the way it should go. Yeah. And then the same time that they're going through this and they're struggling with this internally, everybody from the outside is talking about multiple streams of income. You need multiple streams, multiple streams. Yeah. But what I've been calling is multiple streams of struggle. 
because really none of the streams can really amount to enough. Oh my goodness. <laughs> so that, you know, they can sustain me. Right. So, right, that, right. you know, I, I can start working, like you said, my employees get off the bench and start working for me. Yeah. But instead, like now I'm trying to manage all these different things and doing none of it well. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's actually easier. Like even the sun's energy, right? Um, dis uh, Dispersed energy is weaker than focused energy. So the sun's energy is dispersed. This is why it doesn't burn us. But a laser, right? could actually pierce right through you because it's focused energy. And so when it comes to streams, you don't need multiple streams. You actually need a Nile River. You need a Nile River. And then from that Nile River, there's outlets that channel this energy, this currency to other aspects. But you actually need a Nile River. That's going to be the best. When you look at Elon Musk, when you look at the world's wealth of these people, they have a Nile River. And then their secondary or tertiary asset classes are these other things. But they had a Nile River first. They weren't first. trying to do all at the same time. Even if we go to Jay-Z, Jay-Z's Nile River was Rockefeller Records. Then it became Rock Aware, Spotted Pig, 4040 Club, Title, etc. But his initial Nile River was Rock Aware. If he would have tried to start all of those things at the same exact time, he would have failed. And he, he mastered that initially yes. now that he mastered it he not just mastered the music he mastered the business he mastered the relationships exactly so then all of that by having um the expertise the relationships um the the capital now yeah. made it exponentially easy to do those different things down the line 100 and so for many people uh what people fail to realize is that success is boring wow talk about it right to master something to do a thousand layups that can get boring right you're going to get good at it and you're going to start making 100% uh, of them, but that can be boring. And so at that stage, you have to go into depth, right? And this is where your creativity actually has to come in. Your creativity should not go to another idea. It should go to how do I get more creative about what I'm doing? So, for instance, when you look at old NBA uh, videos, how do they used to dribble? They used to dribble like this with one <laughs> hand. They weren't even using both hands. They weren't going <laughs> right. between the legs. There was no turnarounds. So somebody got bored with this form of dribbling and said, I'm going to get more creative with how I can move this ball as long as it's within the guidelines or the rules of this game. And so now you see amazing plays, but what they were doing in the past, it was the same game, yeah. same exact rules. But somebody said this way of playing is boring. So in the same way, as you get more and more successful, because you're running the same play over and over and over, you're doing the same layup over and over and over, you have to get creative. Like, okay, how do I do an under under the rim layup? How do I do uh, a hook shot? How do I uh, get more creative and deeper into what I'm doing? What I've seen with you in TSP is you've gotten deeper and deeper and deeper. You're always adding a new component here and there, but you're not going and creating something brand new. You're just pouring that creativity back into the original that's idea. It. And that's where the fun is, and that's where the expansion actually comes. And really, um, creativity, when you pair an existing idea with a new idea, that's where emergence occurs. And that's where, uh, and when you see something new emerge because of you pairing an idea that you got from the food industry into TSP or an idea that you got from the tech industry into TSP, all of a sudden, like it gets exciting again because you're seeing new emergence and new growth but it's all within the same Nile. It's all being sourced by the same Nile River. I love, man, you know, you don't hear, I had someone ask me a week or two ago, they said, Lamar, like, what are you working on now? And I said the same thing. <laughs> I, was, I was like, they're like, the huh? I, said, I said the same thing. I said, we got a membership, we got the mastermind, we do two conferences a year. So I, I said, now, just what you said, I said, inside of that, we're trying to figure out how to make the conference better, every year we're trying to improve the mastermind to make the mastermind better so that Correct. people get more results faster. Yes. But the things don't change. It's like, this is what the business is. Yeah. It's this, this, and this. Yep. And we just try to get better 
at serving and delivering this, this, and this. Correct. But you know, there there are no bunch of new different things that we're reaching for every year. It's just yeah. all about trying to get better at where we're at. Yeah. So the, the bells and whistles that come out or new technology comes out and or you should be doing this now, this, this your competitor doing this. Put the blinders on and just stay focused on what you're doing and improving it. And like you said, um, it's all about getting the client the results, whether you have a product based business, whether it's a service based business. How do you get them the results faster, safer and easier? And that's where your creativity has to tap into. You have to put the client first and use your creative energy to accelerate their results. I love it. And I think that's the perfect segue. Let me ask you, yeah. uh, what is next for you? Right. I know <laughs> you're expanding the vision of the multifamily movement. Yeah, yeah, yeah. About that. <laughs> Um, like, what does that look like for you? Are there other parts of components that we should be looking out for too? Yeah, yeah. so uh, it's really exciting because, you know, we crossed our 300 number and 300 number came from Harriet Tubman. She freed 300 people over the course of a decade by making 19 trips below the Mason-Dixon line. And um, and uh, so that was my number and she's been the North Star of our movement and she will continue to be as such. And, and so we crossed that number. And so now it's really about 10 X in that. And, and the, what wakes me up every day is how do I get to 3000 closings and a billion dollars worth of real estate acquired? So so again, everything, all my creative energy is going back into the multi-family movement. And I recognize in this past year, Lamar, that um, especially after getting to 300 closings, that the multi-family movement is not just about multi-family real estate. The multi-family movement is multiple families coming together to create regenerational wealth and enter the asset class, right? And multi-family real estate is just the first asset that we are acquiring together. Once yes. all of us have that asset, then that frees us up to go into to expand that asset class and to explore new asset classes together. And so um, I'm holding that vision and I'm pouring in from the multifamily movement. Some things that we added this year are our certified agents program where we're certifying agents all across the country to understand this methodology, to know how to calculate cash on cash return using the 23 numbers. Okay. Um, uh, we also expanding our lender network. Uh, we have a technology called the Purchaser Pass Deal Analyzer, and we have um, market meetups all over the country where our students organically gather and, and help one another. They go visit properties together, et cetera. So we're continuing to figure out ways to accelerate the result, right? Um, and take, the, uh, take any um, uncertainty out of the equation for folks. What I'm finding is the biggest thing in, uh, uh, that gets people off track when it comes to reaching result, and I'm sure you see this in TSP, um, it's life events, right? Um, yes. uh, the big one that comes up is uh, career shifts or changes in income and then um, and death. Death of somebody in their household or death of family members and having to deal with grief. So it's these emotional things. And, um, and as the leader of the multifamily movement, if I want people to get to the results still, I actually have to figure out how to help people through grief. I never thought that that would be yeah. something that I have to consider, but how do I help my students who are dealing with grief or a change in income, how do I help them get back on their feet faster so that they can get back on the path faster? How do I keep them plugged in? And the core model for me where the multi-family movement has been derived from was actually seeing my mom go through AA. AA, what do they have? What do they say? Go to meetings. <laughs> Just go to meetings. Keep going to meetings. You you drank today. It's okay. Go back to go back to stay plugged in because this is maybe maybe the only source of positivity in your life at this moment in time. So stay plugged in. So it's really about right now. I'm doing more culture work, culture work not only in within the team, right? Um, I'm hiring, but uh, culture within the members. How do we, uh, for lack of a better word, indoctrinate people into this culture of success, of supporting one another, of sharing, uh, of uplifting, of encouragement, of positivity? How do we, when somebody comes into the family, how do we uh, 
educate them on that culture and how do we preserve that culture and how do we get the organization and the membership to a point where that culture is happening naturally right without even external influence or guidance ne necessary so this is the some of the thought work that i'm doing at this level um at this stage and at this size of the movement i love it let me mm -hmm. ask you in closing uh people want more information they yeah. say, hey, I want to learn about Julian. I loved everything I heard. Yeah. Uh, where should they go? How can they find you? Yeah. So the best way to learn about how to acquire your first multifamily home is going to be rentfree.com. Rentfree.com. I do a free webinar there periodically where I'll show you the game. Um, for those of you interested in my book, Rich and Righteous, you can go to moneyandmanifestation.com. That's moneyandmanifestation.com. And uh, my number one social media platform right now is Instagram. And so my name is J-U-L-L-I-E-N. Gordon, G-O-R-D-O-N. That's J-U-L-L-I-E-N, Gordon, G-O-R-D-O-N. And feel free to DM me if you have any questions. All right, man. Perfect. I appreciate, I appreciate you, it. Good to see yeah, you, brother. Of course, man. <laughs> All right, y'all. And don't forget, uh, get started. Like, I, I can't tell you how many books I read over the years, <laughs> right? Like, <laughs> like how many podcasts I listened to, how much information. I literally was a walking encyclopedia of real estate information <laughs> that didn't know anything about real estate. So what I don't want you to do is get caught up. If you were inspired by today's episode, I want you to reach out to Julian, go to the website he gave you and try to figure out, right? Like, like how soon can I actually take action mm -hmm. to get some results? Because I can tell you, once you take action, then everything accelerates quickly. Yeah. And everything that you think you knew, right? You didn't know any of that, right? <laughs> like, like that's why it's important to get around like-minded people that are thinking the same way, going to the same place and already have the answers that you want. So get plugged in with him and we'll see you on the next episode of the Traffic Sales and Profit Podcast. Thanks for joining us on another episode of the Traffic Sales and Profit Podcast. Don't forget to download and subscribe on your favorite podcast platforms. Also, visit us at www.trafficsalesandprofit.com forward slash podcast. On that page, you'll have all the links to follow us on social, me at Lamar Tyler and the at Traffic Sales and Profit brand. In addition to information on our upcoming events, information on how to get a free copy of my paperback book, and more so that you can be the best entrepreneur possible. Thanks again, and I'll see you on the next episode.